people came here for some music. It kind of happened really organically, really like spontaneously. It's not just going in there and making a noise, folks. <laughs> the Classic Rock Files with Kelly Parker. Well, tributes are pouring in and condolences are pouring in for Getty Lee as he grieves the death of his beloved mother, Mary Weinrib. She died on July 2nd, exactly two weeks shy of her 96th birthday. And her bond with Getty was actually recently on display as she appeared with Getty on Dave and Virginia Grohl's From Cradle to Stage series. And this is from the trailer. What do you think it takes to be a mother of a musician? Man, a lot of love. She told me he has a good ear for music. My parents were Holocaust survivors. My mother worked to keep my family together. It will always be about family. Actually, it was her way of pronouncing his name, Gary, because she had a heavy Polish accent that stuck with his buddies at school and how Getty eventually adopted it as a stage name. Now, according to her obituary, Mary Weinrib grew up in a Jewish neighborhood in Poland. That was occupied by the Germans beginning in 1939. She worked at a forced labor camp in the munitions factory and at Auschwitz, where she met and fell in love with her husband, Morris Weinrib, and at Bergen-Belsen, from which she was finally liberated by the Allies in April of 1945. She and Morris reunited, married 1946, then they emigrated to Canada. And this is the coolest part. She was an early supporter of Rush and a fixture at their shows. When the first Rush album was released, she plastered the windows of her store with Rush posters and gave albums away to any kid who wanted the album but didn't have the money to buy it. She appeared with Getty more than once on screen. In addition to From Cradle to Stage, she also appeared in the definitive 2010 Rush documentary, Rush Beyond the Lighted Stage. And as part of her obituary, the family has asked that donations be made in Mary Weinrib's name to the Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center for Holocaust Studies. You can find some great shots and Getty's tribute to her at his Insta account, Getty Images. Steve Hackett has opened up about his reasons for walking out of Genesis back in 1977. He was interviewed in a new Genesis biography called Genesis 1975 to 2021, the Phil Collins years, which is set to be published next week. Hackett says that following the release of 1976's Wind and Weathering album, he increasingly felt that there was no longer space for him as a creative force within the unit, as keyboard player Tony Banks began to emerge as the group's dominant songwriter, backed up by bassist guitarist Mike Rutherford. Hackett says, I don't think group's members should be competitive with each other. You should try to bring out the best in everyone. He said, if I work on a solo album for somebody else, whoever they are, I do what they want. If Tchaikovsky asks me to do a guitar solo, which admittedly, Unlikely at this point. He says, well, he's the boss. But in a group, it shouldn't be like that. But one person always wants to be the Fuhrer, he says. I was starting to write more and more material, and it was harder and harder to incorporate that into a band format. Plus, I wanted to work with other people. Brilliant, though the members of Genesis were, I felt I had to take the risk in order to find out just how good I was on my own. There's a voice that tells you you've got to see whether you're up to scratch or not. And so lifted by the success of his well-received debut solo album, 1975's Voyage of the Acolyte, Hackett feels he was gaining confidence as a songwriter, but in his opinion, his bandmates were becoming increasingly reluctant to accept his ideas. He also says they voiced concern about his commitment to the band. He said, quote, Tony said that I couldn't do more solo albums and be a member of Genesis. Tony was assuming leadership at that point, and Mike was backing him up, so there was no guarantee of a proportion of the songwriting being divided up equally. Tony had said, if you don't like it, you know what you can do. 
Hackett says, I was providing a lot of material for the band at this point, but in terms of writing credits, I wasn't really getting what I thought I should. Right? It always comes down to credits and money. He said, I had already managed to get a hit album on my own, so I needed to be respected as a writer, and I don't think I was getting that from Mike and Tony. I think their agenda was always to run the band. Peter Gabriel, who had been an enormously important part of the band, had always wanted a democracy, as had early Genesis guitarist Anthony Phillips. Democracy in bands is a great ideal, but rarely works in practice because to achieve it, you need to recognize everyone as being equally talented as yourself. And I think that's difficult for certain people to take on board. Hackett says, 40 years ago, I had something to prove, and I still do. Played a great show at The Bird a couple of years ago as well. And finally, this is kind of intriguing. Rick Allen of Def Leppard has confirmed that Iron Maiden's Adrian Smith was a serious contender to join Def Leppard when they were looking to replace Steve Clark following his death in 1991. Allen confirmed the mutual interest between the two, the band and Adrian Smith, in a new interview. He says, quote, I actually really love the idea. Now, Smith actually had quit Iron Maiden in 1990 before returning to the band along with Bruce Dickinson in 1999. He said, quote, I mean, there was a kid called Huey Lucas that was a contender. There was also ex-Thin Lizzy Blue Murder guitarist John Sykes. There were all these people kind of lined up. He says, it's interesting. You put somebody in a slightly different situation and new things are revealed about them. And it was cool. It was a compliment that he was so into it. But I think ultimately Viv Campbell was the absolute perfect choice. Got to agree on that one. That is the Classic Rock Files.